Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is one final episode clearing our interview backlog before we get onto our new format with our next episodes, and we have the next two in planning already. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Peter Harris from Resonate, where we talk tech cooperatives, blockchain, music, creativity, and much, much more. If you enjoy what you hear, please visit gregariousmammal.com slash podcast for previous episodes and gregariousmammal.com slash support to give us a donation, buy some merchandise, or just say you love what we're doing. So for now, this is Chris on at Chris Chinch on Twitter and enjoy the interview. So next I'm joined by Peter from Resonate. Uh, Peter, maybe... Tell us all a little bit about yourself and Resonate and what you're trying to do. Okay, so um, I'm basically a web developer and also have a background in music. Um, played in bands, uh, did a little DJing, uh, produced electronica. And so the idea of what comes next for music has always been uh, a prime obsession of mine since the late nineties, as we saw the, the arrival of, of Napster kind of change everything. And it just was something that never left me and always kind of stewing on in the back of my mind. So anytime I try out, um, both uh, a service from the point of view of a, a music maker, as well as a consumer, I always felt like there was something lacking from what I was using. And I, just never got over that that sensation and then there was a really big shift around the summer of 2014 when i discovered ethereum and that's kind of when um something started to percolate that wow maybe there was a, a new way of doing all of this based on these new de decentralized de decentralized technologies that were emerging and the rest, they say, is history. Sure. So as far as I can understand from um, the presentation I saw you do before, it's a streaming service, but a streaming service with a difference. Uh, firstly, the way that you um, pay the artists and the way that consumers pay for the music, but also the way that you're managing that. Yeah, so... I kind of started off this project looking at things from um, a social, political, economic point of view in that having watched the rise of the dot-com, uh, the original dot-com bubble, um, and then seeing all of the, the silos that have been created like you know Facebook, Apple, Google, et cetera, um, I was looking at business structures and thinking about how to do things differently because there's the, the big problem that happens when you've got a corporate model, of course, is that, um, they make decisions for the benefit of shareholders and not the benefit of the people who create all of the content. Yeah. Um, so I was really super focused on that to start, but then it was clear that, um, after really doing a lot of research around the way that, um, all the other services are kind of based in terms of their their pricing schemes that that also needed to have a reboot yeah. and so that's where the stream to own uh, model came out it was looking at the the problems inherent with the the current streaming model um it's sort of on a surface view 
looks like it's working. It's led to um, increase in overall profits in the music industry after you know having th them having suffered for so long in the last like um, ten or fifteen years has been steep declines since the arrival of Napster. Um, so there's been this uptick. Uh, but if you look at the if you really do the math, it doesn't work. Um, and the best example of that is that if you're well, as I was saying, there, there's been a, a slight increase in profits um, recently due to streaming. When you look at the math and actually dig into it and the details, it, it doesn't really work. And the best metric that you can look at is that if you're a completely independent artist, meaning you're not on a label, um, you have to or your, your fans have to stream a song 150 times on Spotify to equal the price of a download. And there are very, very few fans that ever reach that level of uh, um, fanaticism. And uh, so it just doesn't really work um, in terms of trying to compare it to the way things were with either downloads or physical sales. And so that's where looking at uh, a new way to do uh, payments and plays and, and, and everything really is is helpful and so what stream to own does is it we break away from the subscription model which is the big cause of the problem with like real low payments and or real low stream rates and all that um and also an unfair distribution of streaming um per stream payments uh so we use micropayments and so you do like a top up you put in like five or ten euros and then we have this progressive scale that the more you listen to a song, the more you pay for it. So it's basically breaking up paying for a download into nine streams. And you do it in a way that it starts off really cheap the first four or five times you listen to it. And then it, there's a big uh, increase in the price when you're actually a fan and when you actually care about like supporting the artist. So you get to do music discovery on the cheap. Um, but when you convert to becoming a real fan of somebody and like, wow, I really love this track. Now I want to know who the artist is because, and now I want to support them because I want more music from them. And this is the kind of the phenomenon that I, that I think was really missing from the way that all the systems have been designed, all the services have been built. Um, you know, since everything went digital is that there hasn't been something that's really tried to, uh, have a, an economic model, a technical model, et cetera, that's tied to that human phenomenon. Sure. And I, I mean, think this that is actually, known does that. one of the other things that interested me with what you're doing, aside from the technology is actually, we come from slightly different, sorry, slightly similar backgrounds. Um, I did a computer science degree. And then in my last year, I actually joined a band in the UK um, so this is early 2000s, slightly, uh, maybe a couple of years later than when you said you started playing. Um, so this was, in Europe anyway, the, the peak of Napster in its original form and MySpace um, for music distribution, but still at that point where the industry was suffering because of it but hadn't figured out how to take advantage of it yet. Um, and actually, from my own personal experience as a musician, that we we did all right. Um, I we we never made 
hardly any money from physical sales anyway. Um, and, you know, as it has been through most of the 2000s, you made money from um, royalties, performance royalties, from playing, etc. cetera. Uh, and from our perspective, we always kind of felt like Napster was free advertising. Um, we had kids in places that our albums were never going to be released in, able to listen to the music um, and would get in touch and say, hey, if you ever come here, I'll come and see your show. If you ever release an album here, I'll buy it. Um, it actually felt like, for, from an artist's perspective, a, a great way to engage with uh, and do what you want to do as an artist and when I look at my royalty statements now I mean obviously this is a bit later but yeah the the income from the streaming service is is in multitudes but it's tiny each time and it doesn't add up to much um, I've always been a little uncertain how it even works to be perfectly honest with you so <laughs> so, so yeah I, I kind of have been on that journey with you from different perspectives as well yeah and i think that that you know there's lots of different ways of looking at it and you know what you described is is a common story of what happened sort of in the early um 2000s is that on the one side positively you've got the democratization of distribution that occurred and what that meant is that uh, you didn't have to go through the normal channels of trying to get your stuff on the radio or, you know, maybe hashing it out in just real underground um, clubs and through the underground distribution networks that happened through retail. Um, you had this sudden, suddenly you had this opportunity, like you described, for, for people to discover you. Um, and so that is the positive side of the Internet and what's happened with, with music but it's that there weren't um, the, the the industry responded so poorly, so terribly to the arrival of this this new age that it really delayed for about ten years the ability to to look at how we could it could be used to um, to our advantage. And so um, Spotify came along to kind of and the reason why they were successful convincing the major labels is that they had been battered around for, for almost 10 years and it would, they were desperate to finally try something else. Um, because, uh, Torrance and, and, and everything was, was such a, uh, disaster, um, that they were just really willing to jump in on it and maybe not really look at the, the long-term implications. And I think everyone's been focused on, oh, when it reaches like really mass adoption, then it's going to work out and then it's going to lift all the boats. But I don't think anyone's actually questioned the underlying logic of, is this a sustainable system for artists? And so this is why we're looking at not just streaming. We use the hashtag beyond streaming um, because we're, we're thinking about also is like, um, what are all the different ways that someone's music is distributed other than you know just clicking play in an app um, where else does it go what are all the other things that are connected to their career whether it's just the, the kind of obvious things about ticketing and merchandise but 
Maybe it's new technologies like VR and AR um, or 360 video. Um, there's going to be so many different things emerging um, in the coming years. And the overarching statement I think what we're that we're making is that um, yeah, we're going to go beyond streaming and offering all these other things, but you have to kind of look at, I think the bigger dynamics at play, which is the, that kind of social political thing of saying that, you know, there's, we're, we're kind of headed for some really maybe scary kind of developments in that, in that, um, we're going to end up with a few massive mega corporations basically in charge of all distribution on the planet. And it's going to be an access model, not an ownership model. And I, I find it personally quite disturbing that we're going to end up with, you know, I sometimes refer to them as arse, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple. There's a lot of A's Spotify. <laughs> it's ass, ass, arse. <laughs> I want to put the arse audio. down there. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe the arse, well, they're, they're gone. So yeah, maybe the arse stands for resonate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a bit, it's a bit disturbing, I think. Um, because, I mean, there's been a lot of rumors around Apple is going to drop iTunes and they're going to go streaming only. Um, you know, the Spotify business model is all about IPO. It's actually not yep. about making money. It's actually something music, I find interesting about Spotify, bizarre. despite the criticisms of them. Of course, they're not even doing that well themselves. Um, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's always a, an ironic one, really. Um, yeah. Well, let's actually just purely out of uh, just just to kind of deal with the sort of the, the 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 reasons for being first before we move on to technology and other aspects um so for example uh, you know i get the general impression that at least for now you're aiming your offering at um independent artists largely um but say for example you know let's go crazy let's think crazy if metallica got out of their deal if they're even on one anymore and tomorrow said we want to sign up with you would you be interested in artists of that kind of size or do you want to keep it for the harder to find people absolutely and no absolutely i mean it's it should be for everyone because it's a cooperative um i'm not sure if i mentioned that at the outset but you know, yeah and so you know i i assume we'll have to have some kind of terms and conditions that you can't um you know distribute hate material we don't want any neo-nazis trying to release we don't know neo-nazi bands don't don't sign up um uh but you know it, it should be wide open um for any representative of any musical kind of community um anywhere on earth because that's the ethos of a, of the co-op um would I want them to do it next week? Probably not unless they're going to like, unless they're going to dump a bunch of money in to help us, you know, build up the server stack or whatever to, to be able to deal with it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately that's where it could, it could go. Um, and we do have a strategy, a long-term strategy in place to, um, maybe see that, that, that kind of situation happen. 
And I think it's, I think it is quite realistic because, um, especially for those artists that are on a major label, I mean, the, the contracts that I've heard about in terms of the way streaming is described, it's just, it's a joke. I mean, you know, the, the way they've tried to hide all of this revenue, um, and you know, when it comes to Spotify for the labels, it's about, it's about the stock again. They're not even thinking of it in terms of the, uh, you know, the income it's about floating stock and selling shares <laughs> saying stock in in reference to metallica is is funny if you've ever seen that film What's they that? made because that phrase is used a lot anyway <laughs> in some kind of monster they're constantly using this phrase of stock it's too stock <laughs> that guitar solo <laughs> anyway <laughs> um before we um, move on to the cooperative discussion because that's actually kind of one of the other reasons I wanted to talk to you and a subject um, of other interviews on this episode. Um, let's talk a little bit about the technology. Uh, I saw you speak at a blockchain meetup. I am super interested in blockchain and always have been. I was a very early user and um, winner as well from blockchain, uh, sorry, from Bitcoin. Um, and uh, I've written about um, I've written about Big Chain DB. I've written about Eris, who I think have now changed their name, and, and a few other things too. It's always been something that's interested me. But at the same time, I've seen you know it's a lot of there's a lot of bandwagon jumping going on as well, um, using blockchain when really it's not needed. But with what you're doing, actually, there is a very relevant use case, and it's. You're basically, you know, it, it's almost an archetypal ledger type model um, recording um, the transactions that happen so people can audit them, uh, which is a perfect use case. So maybe just a little bit yeah, more that's, about that's what you're the doing there would be great. For uh, doing uh, transactions on a blockchain is, is what you said, is to be able to create an immutable ledger that says this is what was played and this is what gets paid. Um, so that there's really no dispute. And, you know, if you look at the, the Spotify website, uh, I think it's spotifyartist.com, they, they quote their average rate is 0 0.006 to 0 0.0084. And it's like, so well, why does it vary? <laughs> you know, and, you know, what are the calculations that lead to this? You know, you'll, you'll never find out because it is a complex mess. And I don't think it's that they're necessarily evil. It's that they're reconciling the fact that they have these wildly different usage patterns and a fixed price. And so it's going to end up um, being crazy complex. And it's also, they've got two models. They've got a free model and a premium model. And so uh, trying to do all that math, it ends up with, you end up with this, these various uh, rates. And But for us, we've got a fixed price, and so those um, transactions can get written into a blockchain, and there's just will be no disputing the, the, you know, what was played and what gets paid. Um, so that's one of the fundamentals for, for using blockchain tech for us. And then from there, it's, it gets really interesting in terms of metadata um, and file distribution, because what we're, what we're building and we're working very closely with big chain um, to do that for their implementation of the Koala IP is the potential to 
be able to move that data around through lots of different links in the the or chains in the ecosystem uh, throughout the industry. So examples of that would be like publishing because you've got um, the you know songwriter and composer rights that are very different from performer rights and they're different by country um, and it's different by context, whether it's that you write a song and then somebody performs a cover of it and then that cover blows up and ends up selling 2 million records. Um, that's one type of right. Or if it gets placed into a, uh, a film or a commercial, uh, those are different ways that um, music has moved throughout the, the world. If you, uh, you have like cover versions for karaoke, you know, there's money to be collected there because there, there's money being made there. Um, another great example is performance royalties, whether your music is getting played on the radio or in clubs or, for instance, if your uh, producer and DJs are playing your stuff in festivals. And the tracking systems that manage that, in some cases, are very efficient, and others are very inefficient. The Association for Electronic, uh, Electronic Music um, estimates 150 million euros being lost every year because the reporting methodologies for festivals and clubs is a mess. It doesn't work because DJs don't want to list every single track that they played in a, in a, in a club. And so the, there's all this money being collected at the gate, uh, from ticket sales that is not going to who it should go to. Uh, it's ending up in somebody else's pocket because, DJs won't put in a set list. So there's all kinds of ways that uh, blockchain tech to manage this data could empower other startups and other um, organizations to to use it to move things much, much faster and, and more efficiently. Yeah, I think that's actually a really fascinating use case, too, of also um, taking... Uh, yeah, applying this also to the uh, I'm going to use this very loosely, but the the offline world, the, the performances, the DJ sets things. If that process of submitting was easier, instead of what I assume it still is a piece of paper um, that probably gets lost somewhere, uh, then people would be more likely to do it. Or you have you know a lot of DJs, especially these days, DJ off laptops. Um, you could just write live straight to your you know your your an, a, an api that is just live um writing back what well, was I mean, on you your can, playlist it can, the technology actually exists to automate the whole process because you've got like uh one of our our partner startups is geotrack id and they have music um recognition technology that would allow you to basically just you know put a device or an app and just listen to the set list, uh, listen to the performance, listen to what's being uh, played, um, do the fingerprinting to identify stuff. And then if you've got the, the data connected to that in a blockchain, everything can be encrypted so that the DJ doesn't have to worry about, you know, the, the set list getting out to the promoter and then, you know, they lose all their cool tracks and, uh, and because that's it's a very real problem uh, culturally, um, so all that could be all that data could be encrypted so that like it, it's not being revealed at the point of source. 
but that it goes into the system for the royalties to get paid. Um, and you could just, all that, that stuff could be automated. Um, and there's, there's lots of opportunities there. Um, I, I know of a situation in one, in one of the European countries where the collection societies are, the collection society from that country is talking to the broadcast industry about doing such a thing um, where they could automate, build an automated system for tracking. And it's, and so it's starting to emerge. Um, but the, the more you look into it, the, the more clear that it becomes that using blockchain is like really the best thing for, for that, because it's really about like how many different directions does data need to go? Even if it's just like something as simple as, populating the the wikipedia database you know with the actual set list and the actual list of credits that came from the artist you know including their bio um i've been in a lot of conversations with image and heap around this topic and she's like really frustrated that there's this you know there are all these inconsistencies in her bio on, on wikipedia and she can't edit it because they won't allow her to edit her own bio so here's here's a use case where you know the artist could control their their bio uh, information to be the official source of truth, um, and so that it's things aren't getting distorted as it gets you know spread around around the net, and that's all great great use cases for blockchain. Super cool, actually. That's uh, it's yeah. This is kind of what disappoints me sometimes when I see some uses of blockchain that are just so like it's just you're just using it as a database you know yeah that's it um whereas you could do so many much more interesting things Absolutely. <laughs> and, and yeah it was it was an award ceremony i went to here, here in berlin last year at some point and i asked this question to everybody on the um the pitching is like why are you using blockchain and i could only like literally only two of them really needed it um and I think, you know, that's the, that's the nature of pitching events. You just kind of yeah. work your pitch to, <laughs> to, to match the, the, the topic. But, yeah, but um, I think that seems to have dropped off a bit. And fortunately, a lot of the, the tech projects I've seen using blockchain recently have been a bit more appropriate. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bit of a repeat going on um, from the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s when there was so much money dumped into internet startups before there was really like there were people people on the internet no you know, I, I i worked in that industry and got burnt by the first bubble <laughs> so i remember yeah so there's a bit of stuff uh, like that in blockchain but i think it's also maturing very fast and 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 that cycle is happening much faster so um, yeah, this is going to be a, a really exciting year to start to see things actually come to fruition, and you know, you start to get some real practical applications out of it. That's a, so. Let's let's just go off the technology back to the the company setup. You already we've also been joined by the the third co-host, the the cat, but she's not going to say very much, I don't think. So, um, the cooperative model you're using. So. Actually, interestingly, both uh, Kate and I, the other host of the podcast, used to run a social enterprise together in Australia. Um, and at the time, and I'm not sure if it was Australia-specific, if co-ops are just popular in Australia or it was just the time, I'm not sure. But there was a, quite a lot of cooperatives, especially in the, the social enterprise space. Um, and in, 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 shall we 
in, in yeah, especially in the sort of social enterprise space. And it was something that uh, we looked at. We didn't actually run our organization that way, but we knew lots of other people who did. Um, and then it hadn't really... I knew of a few web agencies that ran in a similar way, a kind of fee-for-service work. It, it can run pretty well as a cooperative model. But I hadn't really given it much thought until I saw you uh, talking at this event and you mentioned that you run, you know, what what we could consider, whether you like the term or not, a startup as a cooperative. Um, and it suddenly sparked me as being very interesting and, you know, potentially some of the constant problems that uh, startups that follow the traditional funding model have with meeting various demands of investors and things is potentially changes a lot of those problems and I was just interested to hear a bit more about why you did it how well it's worked for you um is it an idea you recommend to other people etc yeah I had the idea around mid 2015 that's when it and it was it was basically basically because I I had been following the tech um, seen for so long and had seen so many situations kind of rise up and see what the the dark side of uh, venture capital was and how and how it could really um, shift the way that services develop and operate. And one of my favorite examples is Snapchat that they went through this this transition from having a principle that delete is our default. You know, deleting content was the default setting. And then there was a big backtrack over that um, where they started to store things. And the reason why, because they need to analyze it for selling data off to third parties um, because they need a business model. And this is the really the fundamental problem with the Internet um, right now is that this culture of free, um, that that all apps should be free, that all content should be free. Uh, comes with a price, and the, the the price is the people and uh, being profiled, and the the data that's being built up is is quite frightening. There's been a, a story floating around um, that came out of some Swiss magazine about the way that data may have been data profiles may be uh, a source of manipulation in the recent Brexit and Trump elections, and whether that particular story is true. This is going to this is going to increase rather dramatically in the coming years. That organizations, uh, whether they're governments or corporations, are going to start manipulating and using this uh, the data that's being generated by people using a free service um, for illicit gains and um, controlled outcomes. So. Um, that's the, the larger context of uh, why this decision was made to really kind of say it even much more simply. Um, one of our advisors, Callum Ali, said uh, Resonate represents a new global governance model for culture. And I think that was like the most kind of profound uh, feedback that I ever had about why the co-op model is that it does present um, a new opportunity to manage culture, global culture in a different way. And the key thing that he was highlighting there was that, you know, digital is global by default. It's, it's just automatic because there's, there are no borders on the internet. 
and content just moves where it moves. And so recognizing that as the, the kind of fundamental conditions that we're in, um, by having a cooperative model that has this democratic governance, um, it allows for the possibility for culture to thrive in a way that can't be um, can't be modified or steered or you know manipulated or whatever by the needs of um, shareholders and investors, uh, because that's just inevitable. It's the structure of the corporation that you have to like return value to shareholders above all other considerations um, because it's in the charter. And yeah, we really need to change that those laws across the board because, you know, we're, we're going to see like some rather dramatic sea level rise in the coming decades. Thanks to that business structure. <laughs> I mean, it's why climate change is still being talked about because you've got like these multi-trillion dollar industries that are, corporations that are um, that have been steering people away from the science for um, the better part of two decades. And, you know, so sorry, that was a weird segue, but it just, it just reveals the, it just reveals the point about, you know, how really far off of uh, uh, the, the course of um, we can get when in terms of like, um, Things going bad, um, I guess, <laughs> what you want to say. It. Um, you know, we, we could have stopped climate change um, two decades ago if it hadn't been for ExxonMobil um, and, and the way that these, uh, these for-profit motivations override every other concern. And so that's the goal of uh, with Resonate is to have a model where um, the needs of the artists can always come first and that there can be a democratic process to make sure and maintain that 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 occurs and also on the fan side too um, that you know we're gonna try and have some really um, robust security measures to protect fan identities and fan data use and all that stuff but having a co-op structure means that like if we make a mistake they can do something about it you know they can get a petition going and you know, say, Hey, you know, you guys have this flaw here. You need to, you need to fix this. Um, and there, there would be pushing that out from the point of view as co-owners because they are. So this has always been one of, one of the criticisms of the cooperative model is that it introduces potentially some extra kind of bureaucratic overhead. Um, is that something you've you would say you have experienced yet at all, or is that a bit of a myth? No, we haven't experienced it yet, um, but it could come in the future. And I think that you know, there's, I think the community's reasonable, and it's about just building up systems and methodologies that are fair. Um, and you know, we're going to have some, we're going to stumble with it. It's not going to be easy. I mean, we're certainly trying something that hasn't been done before. I mean, cooperatives are very, very successful, whether it's, you know, you're just running a cleaning service in your, in your neighborhood or whether you're like Mondragon in Spain, who's worth $5 billion and they, they, they exist in every single sector, um, across the entire economy. Um, so they can, it can be very, very large. What hasn't really been done before is to try to do something global. So I know we're going to make some mistakes and we're going to have to learn from it. Um, but I think that 
when you think of what the contrast is, it, it just doesn't compare. I mean, I know there are tens of thousands of musicians who were totally burned when when SoundCloud changed their terms around um, how much content you could have in their account. And, you know, because they had to find a business model and they had to start earning some money and they're, they're having pressure from their investors to, to do that. And the people that are using the service or the people who are supplying all the content really don't have any, they don't have a voice. They're not, they don't have a seat at the table. Are there any other, setting aside the agencies, because that's one place where I think um, you do see cooperatives more, especially strangely in France, uh, is another country where I seem to have come across a lot of cooperatives. Are there any other people in the tech space doing a kind of more direct product slash service with the cooperative model like you guys? Yeah, I mean, that was the the really kind of fun thing that happened in 2015 was discovering that there was this whole emerging movement, um, hashtag platform co-op, um, that came out and that they, there was the first conference in New York last, uh, it was November, 2015, um, around the topic and that's, it's starting to spread. Um, there's a big platform co-op conference going on in England, like right now. Um, and, uh, there's another one coming up in, I think Brussels in March. Um, so, it's it's starting to spread the idea uh, that we should be owning um, the platforms that we use. There's a hashtag buy Twitter um, campaign that's going on right now because Twitter's kind of in trouble. And, yeah. you know, so uh, why, why shouldn't the users buy it? Why yeah. shouldn't people that use Twitter own it? Yeah. Actually, that's um, not a bad idea. I don't know how I've missed some of these <laughs> things. I, I think this is the interesting thing, like... I've been to a couple of events that sort of move around this space, like, um, oh, God, the, there's a big one in Paris, We Share, um, and a, a couple of also degrowth in Leipzig a couple of years ago, this sort of, but I don't know, I never, I never heard people talking in this, directly in this more tech space so much. Um, and... Interestingly, yeah, the mainstream tech media doesn't seem to cover it that much. Um, it's really new. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very very new, and and there's going to have to be uh, a standout success because there is it. it it's very very challenging. Um, I I think that for what resonates doing, it's the only model. I'm 110 percent convinced of that. That we need to have the cooperative model to protect culture, um, but it's super, super challenging because I mean, you know, tech startups have been financed by VCs for a reason, you know, it's because they've got access to scads and scads of capital and they can, you know, this, this general model of fund a hundred companies, 99 will fail and one will be incredibly successful has kind of worked. Um, it's just, it's not egalitarian and it creates long-term problems. Um, and so we need to, to find, um, different solutions. So I think it, it's going to take, you know, maybe by the end of this year, um, if there's been a couple of successes, uh, it'll start to show up in the, in the, uh, 
tech uh, blogs and stuff that they'll start talking about it. Well, I'm going to start talking about it some more. I, I find a lot of the the governance possibilities that have been um, uh, made possible by blockchain. Um, and not saying that the the governance framework is anything new, but you know things like blockchain make it easier to kind of manage. It's super interesting, um, yeah. And it's happening at various in various spaces at various levels, um, and yeah, it's it's something I find one of the most fascinating things happening right now, uh, and one with the most potential to 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 help with other problems <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah because when you when you when there's the kind of the we find the sweet spot between the platform co-op concept and the DAO, a distributed autonomous organization um then things are going to really take off because that's the that's where the real power in in this will will occur um the the first experiment with the DAO, um obviously a technical failure um kind of close did put too much power into people with more um coin in this in the community so if we can find a sweet spot between um that kind of structure but also not you know that you don't lose the democracy in the in the in the process then then i think we'll really start to uh see some pretty radical transformation because it can it can work in any sector uh, you can imagine. And that's, that's one of the really key motivations, um, for seeing this thing through is that I think that there's just untold possibilities, um, that, that we could, uh, we can see out there. And we, we, we absolutely have to start doing this now because, um, automation and machine learning and all that stuff is just going to, go through some really rapid developments that's going to, I mean, it's, you know, the Oxford study that said what 42, 45%, uh, dis, uh, economic displacement in within 20 years. Um, you know, I've heard something really interesting that came out of the, all this noise about Trump was that the, uh, the jobs didn't go to China. The jobs went to automation. Yep. If you look at the manufacturing yep. stuff, yep. I never yep. knew that. I always thought yeah. it really was that, you know, because you see all these pictures of like, you know, 10,000 workers on a Chinese factory floor and stuff. And it just, it made it really seem like, wow, that's what happened. But it actually didn't. It happened because of technology. And that's going to just run like a wildfire through every sector and so being able to create DAOs and being able to to really make ownership um central to uh to new economic um developments and paradigms uh is just critical otherwise um we're dependent upon UBI taking off and otherwise, I don't know. Yeah, this is actually, we actually had a previous uh, episode looking at this subject and then I was at um, a discussion last week where it was largely with economists and I was the main tech person and I suddenly came up with an idea that I couldn't get out of my head uh, that is somewhere at the intersection of what you just said as well. So, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to tell you what it was because I haven't really, um, 
I haven't really uh, thought about it any further to um, to uh, I can't think of the word to 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 make it clearer than just a bit of a crazy idea. But basically, yeah, if this is going to happen, how can we incorporate the the people that are disrupted by it into society better, so they are have a feeling of of contributing to society somehow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think we we're going to maybe talk about that on a in a future episode. <laughs> it's, it's something that's come up a bit because Kate is very interested in robots, um, but she's also very conscious of the impact they potentially have. So it was a discussion that we had um, a couple of episodes back. Um, I've taken up enough of your time. This has been a very interesting conversation. Um, just to wrap up, maybe uh, if you could let people know um, how to sign up to the service, any plans for the future, uh, etc. Yeah, so um, we've got we've had about uh, 260 backers in our crowd campaign so far. Um, it's been slower than anticipated for kind of a number of reasons that take too long to um, go into, but. Um, we are now testing the stream to own app with those backers, uh, at the moment. So we're, we're effectively in business. We had our first couple of uh, transactions yesterday, um, in terms of people topping up and adding money to their, to their resonate balance and starting to stream and, and have those, um, those revenues go to artists. So we're in business and basically Go to resonate.is and uh, follow the link to become a member. It's just five dollars, five euros, is uh, the entry point to um, being a, becoming a part of the co-op. You'll get to vote. You'll get to have profit distribu distributions if we're successful. You'll get to earn something off of that, and most of all, know that you're directly supporting artists with a totally new model that's uh, much more sustainable in the long term. And that was me discussing many interesting ideas and thoughts and technology concepts with Peter from Resonate. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can find a previous episodes at gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. And you can support what we do at gregariousmammal.com slash support. See you next time.